welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. It's my very great pleasure to introduce, like, a, you know, one of our, our, our best friends and one of our closest friends. Actually, look, one of the, the, the guys at a point back in 2015 when I think I was ready to pack it in. It's one of the many times I was ready to pack in church, actually, because uh, there's been more than once, if I'm honest. Uh, Marcel and Cody come into our lives and really started to minister and help us, actually. And uh, they've, they've continued to do that through the years. Marcel used to be the senior pastor of uh, Young and Free Church, now Redemption. Cody is the campus pastor in Rotterdam, doing a phenomenal job there. And, uh, but Marcel, for me, has uh, an insight and a heart for the gospel of grace that I think is unparalleled, actually. And um, a minister of God's grace, which uh, to me, has, he's always been a, a, a deep encourager for me in my faith and in my journey. And so it's an absolute honor and privilege that he's here with us this weekend. And uh, they had a bit of a, got delayed by a day, but managed to make it anyway. And so it is wonderful to see you. So let's put our hands together and say, Huiga Morgan. Well, thank you so much, Brother Andrew. Ugly sister, huh? That's what they have for you. Oh, my goodness. Oh, dear Lord. I, I, I just, I can't help when you say stuff like that, imagining you on high heels with a... <laughs> <clears throat> yes. Um, good morning to you all. I uh, actually have a very um, a deep story. Uh, for this morning, and uh, I tend to go very serious when I talk deep, um, so help me, <laughs> when I make something that you think it's a joke, please laugh, <laughs> to keep it a bit light, yeah? Um, thank you so much, uh, Andrew and Penny, for having us. Um, You've witnessed a bit of our journey, and, a, and, and last time I was here, I even told about the burnout which I went through. Uh, but actually, that story went on, and I learned a couple of more things, and that's what I want to share. So we start with a, with a verse which we all love from Ephesians 3. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, another translation says that's what we know more, exceedingly abundantly above. All we can ask or think, but this translation says immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So I found myself in a place in my life where I thought God has that ability, but for some reason he seems not to apply it to my situation. So I found myself that I think, actually my life went opposite scripture. So there was prophesied over our lives that we would lead a church and we start leading a church and it grew up to 2,000 people, eight locations. And for Europe, that's quite big, what I understood later. And, um, and then I had to step down. Uh, not only because my burnout, but I, I just, I, I couldn't do it anymore. And I couldn't get it further than where we were. I had kept hitting a ceiling time and time again, and then it started costing my health. So I had to step down. And then, yes, we called it a promotion, and I would be the traveling minister, and then COVID hit, so, so far traveling. Um, so it felt like, man, the, ho the whole thing, it has just failed. And one of the things I learned, and I hope to encourage you with that, that there can come a situation in your life that it seems that what happens went opposite the promises or opposite scripture. And you know what I found out? You can survive it. You can even get by it. You can get through it. But you know what often happens with us human beings? There's question marks left deep inside of us, and they actually paralyze us. And God wants to remove all those question marks. All of them. All of them. So if you, if you thought, I'm going to pray for the sick, and after that you fell sick yourself, after you start praying and you never recovered from that, then you probably still walk around with question marks. And God says, I want to resolve that. And only coming here, I realized that, I, that, that why, why, why would I tell this story this morning? Uh, in, in this very short time, 
you get 260 people in this house next week with a pantomime, whatever that may be. <laughs> but how incredible is that? For sure some of them know the Lord. For sure some of them even from this church. But for sure there's people who never met Jesus. But then, then the church often has the idea, yeah, we just get them in, we tell them the gospel. And then they get saved, and somehow we grow, and then we're all happy. But you know that a lot of growth actually comes because we learn to relate to these people out there. And we learn to relate to the situations in their life. And what they've been through, or even if they're in the midst of stuff, to step beside them with understanding. So I found purpose in the situation where my life seemed to go opposite Scripture. You know, it got even worse. When I stepped down, the Lord impressed on my heart to start really have a strong eye on Israel. And that was like three years ago. And uh, so wherever I, uh, to whomever I spoke, they said, so you stepped down as senior pastor. You know, it's not really done that you stepped down. You let go of your church. And, and then what are you now? Yeah, I'm, I'm traveling and... So when are you going to focus on Israel? And we're like, ooh. Well, today it seems quite relevant. I get a lot of questions. How should the church relate to Israel? How do we look at the current situation? But at that time, it wasn't that popular. So now I was even walking around with a commission that I thought, did I even understand that right? So, but to get back to this verse... He, wants, he is able to do immeasurably, um, immeasurably more exceedingly abundantly. That's the King James. That's more clear right, to us. Exceedingly abundantly. But it's yet it's about measures. And you know, a big part of the, of the answer, while this, when this doesn't come to pass yet, is in that little phrase, according to his power, which is at work in us. But before that, before this part... This is, this is a conclusion, verse 20 and 21. Now, you need to understand, I'm a teacher type of guy, so God speaks to me through teaching. If you have a situation in your life where it went opposite Scripture, <coughs> God might speak to you completely in a different way. I mean, he's our shepherd. It means he relates to us in how we are. And I'm wired as a teacher, so God starts teaching me when I don't understand something. If you're more a worshiper, God might meet you in the worship to explain and resolve question marks. So don't be distracted and think that I'm telling a story like this is how it works. No, this is how it worked for me. But you need to know God also wants to do it for you. But let's read what's written before this, because this is only a conclusion. So then we read just a couple of verses before. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. You see, that's that power inside there god wants to work a power inside of us and through that he end up being able to do abundantly exceedingly more but let's see how that power wants to work in us so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and i pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, high, deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the measure of all the fullness of God. And when I read this at one point, when I was still struggling, the Lord challenged me. He said, what's the biggest thing? What's the biggest attribute? What's the most important thing you can find in the Bible about me? And it's actually the love. You know, when Paul speaks about all the giftings in the Corinthians letter, oh, there will be prophecies, there will be this, that, but at one point it will all fade, and there will be three things which remain, which is faith, hope, and love, of which love is the greatest. And then the Lord said to me, why did you never have a sermon about the width, the length, the height, and the depth of the love? I thought, yeah, that's a very good question. Felt a bit like Job. And he had all these question marks to God. And God started asking his questions. <laughs> so God started asking me. So you're all, uh, you know what's all true. You know what's all important. But you never even studied the love. And the dimensions of the love. And you know that it, that it ended saying. 
God who is, who is able to do immeasurably. It's about dimensions. It's about measures. And here it speaks about four measures of the love. So I started to study that, start to look into that. With some help. I'll tell a bit more about how that came to pass, where the help came from, also unexpected. So, but the width of the love I knew. You know what's the width of the love? It's the forgiveness of sins. Because as far as east is from west. And how far is it? Immeasurable. The width of the love is immeasurable. The forgiveness of sins is immeasurable. And then the length of the love. Oh, I, I, I'm, I have a construction background. Before I dropped into the kingdom of God and became a, a minister, I was in, in construction. So with the length, I immediately thought, if there's a width, then the length, I, I thought again. But length is about time. You know how long is the length of the love? It's eternal. So your forgiveness of sin is as far as east is from west. And the length of it is eternal. Wow. You know the height of the love? Oh, we love that. Oh, I so love that. The height of the love is that we're seated in Christ. You know, when you became a believer, and, and if you're not, you're here, you're not a believer, will help you towards the end of the service to become a believer, because it's also for you. The forgiveness of sins and eternally loved by God. And then the height, it's so cool. We're seated in Christ. You know, when we became believers, we got baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But you know what's in the Greek? It says, into the name. You got baptized into the family name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You baptized into the family. And you're seated in Christ. My goodness. You're already part of heaven. You're more part of heaven than you're of earth. On earth, you only still have your body. But your eternal being inside deep, sometimes hidden in us. But that's already part of heaven. It's unbelievable. That's the height of the love. You're, you're a son. You're a daughter. And therefore you're also an heir. Go heir with Christ. That, that seating in, in, on the, that, that authority which has been given to you. That you're a, a child of God. And seated in Christ. That's part of your inheritance. Probably the most important part. Because you're co-heirs with Christ, and Christ is heir of the throne, and he got you into it as well. That's the height of the love. And so far, this was what I've been preaching till life went opposite scripture. The forgiveness of sins, and it's eternal. And man, we're children of God, and all the promises are yes and amen. Because we're sons, we're children, and we're heir. But it doesn't stop there. And it goes about the depth of the love. And that part, I, I won't say I missed, but I never really got it. You know, when the Bible speaks of depth, it's actually about the valleys of life. When the Bible speaks of depth, when it goes deep, the Old Testament explains very well that it's, like a valley. And when something happens in our lives, which we don't understand, which we feel like dark, the Bible calls that a valley. Have you, go have you gone through a valley? You know, that can be, in my case, it was on, in the area of ministry. Praise God, my marriage was still good, family life, all blessed. There wasn't any moral failure. There wasn't any financial. Uh, I had to step down because of my health, and I just didn't know how ministry worked. At least not in that role. But you know, it can be in any area. Some areas of your life can be great and blessed, but there can also be an area which is really like a valley or has been like a valley. And then I found out it also happened with Jesus. Let's, let's read the next one at the beginning of the gospel. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, we all know this part, huh? But what does Psalm 23 says? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me. He leads me beside still waters. And what happened to Jesus? 
Oh, formal one, Matthew 4. Jesus was led by the Spirit beside still waters into the wilderness. Hey, so even with Jesus, life seemed to go opposite Scripture. But then we know that when he came, he came for us. And he, he, he came to make everything clear for us. Whatever he suffered, whatever he went through, he went through for us. So when, when he went into the wilderness, actually, he went there to meet our enemy. And it was through a Jewish believer friend of mine who actually told me this is the whole temptation in the desert is fully connected to Psalm 23. Every element of it you can find back in Psalm 23. Now we already know Jesus is our good shepherd, he said it. So Psalm 23 is absolutely a psalm which is close to us, but you know what I never realized? That the latter part of the psalm Jesus also did for us. And when I was in Israel on my last trip, we went to what they call the Mount of Temptation. So they figured out Jesus was sent into the wilderness. And uh, um, then they figured out where must it have been. And then we know the devil takes him to a temple and does something. And then he's taken to a mountain and he offers him all the kingdoms of the world. But it's all tempting which comes to us because it says in Hebrews 4 he was tempted likewise and it's about that it's about the temptation in the desert but you know what was really interesting we had a tour guide he said you know actually to get here because it's close to Jericho where they bring you if you go to the Mount of Temptation they bring you close to Jericho he said you know what's actually interesting if you need to come here from Jerusalem and Jesus most probably left Jerusalem to be led into the wilderness, you actually go through the valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of, de of death exists. It, 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 it's part of, it's called Wadi Kweld. It's like a, a river bedding. And it exists. So Jesus went through it for us. And he got tempted there. So if, if we go into a valley, if, the, if, if a valley gets into our lives and we enter into the valley, <laughs> what we often don't realize is that Jesus has already been there. He went into that valley for us. And I don't know how you feel, but when I think back how I felt when I was in the midst of my failure, like this has all gone wrong. I'm, 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 I even walked around like, am I disobedient to the prophecy? Because I was prophesied to lead this and to do this. And now I'm here, I cannot do it, I'm not doing it. What did I do wrong? Where did I miss it? You really get at the center of it all. You know, God has that ability, but apparently he didn't want to apply it for me or want to use it for me, his ability to do exceedingly abundantly. And you end up with yourself. And you end up with question marks towards God. But now we know that Jesus has already been there. And we love the first part of Psalm 23. But actually, the depth of the love is written in the latter part of Psalm 23. Now, even the world says when you have a fear, you know what's the best way to deal with it? Face it. And spiritually, it's absolutely true. If there has been a valley, or there is a valley, you know what's the best thing to do? Step in the midst of it. Shall we step into the valley together? So if there has been a valley in your life, which you might think, I, I survived, but it still, still hurts, still a question mark, it could be a divorce, it could be something with your children, with your parents, something which went wrong in your work, You have to know Jesus has already been there. But let's see 
how he sees you in the valley and where you can find him in the valley. Yeah, just read with me. It says, yay. It's not a yay. <laughs> yay. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And this scripture is fulfilled by Jesus. There hasn't been any valley in your or my life where Jesus hasn't been for us. So he can, he can be there with us. But because the devil manages, we don't know, we, we don't realize we need the depth of the love. The devil just manages to give such an impression about what all happened and make it so about yourself that we forget that, that Jesus says, I'm there with you. Or our faith dictates that shouldn't have been. Did you fall sick? Just believe more. Why are you not healed? Someone else got healed and you're not. Are you even believing the right doctrine? You know, what first gets attacked most of the time is, your, is, is what happened with Jesus when he was in the wilderness. That the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, God just had said the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. And then he went into the valley in the wilderness. And what did the devil come? What was the temptation? If you are the son of God. The beloved, the word beloved was already stolen. You know how weak we get when we don't feel beloved anymore? Or we doubt we're beloved because God has taken his ability to bless us or to help us. If the devil can, can, can fool us and say, yeah, God has left you. You're on your own here. And it's not true. When there's a valley, and you know, we live in the Netherlands. <laughs> But that, that's not what it's about, that you live in the lowlands, you know? Uh, I mean the spiritual valley. <laughs> it's when, you, when your heart sinks really deep because of the circumstance, what you see, and, and especially where you don't see God. But God is right there. God is right there. And yet when we know that, you fear not. And then it says, oh, we also love that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But when I was honest, I didn't feel any comfort. <laughs> Because I didn't really believe it. Or you know, you know what? I, for the longest time I probably did. I'm in the valley, okay? I admit it. I, I, I might have been even be walking myself in here. And yeah, you're with me. But please get me out. Please get me out. Leave me out. Yeah, but it cannot be by works. Okay, can I crawl then? Can I maybe... Uh, we cannot run apparently. I'm quite paralyzed. But get, Lord, get me out. You recognize that? It says, Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. And my Jewish friend said, <laughs> He says, Where is that table? Where is that table? We just went into the valley, then there should be some comfort. Now there's suddenly a table. But it says it's in the presence of my enemies. You know what he said? That table is in the midst of your valley. You know why God prepares a table? In the midst of our valley. In the deepest deep where we don't understand, God says, okay. So you're in a valley, my child. Well, I'm right here with you to begin. But yeah, you have all these enemies here. The enemies which doubt your sonship. The enemies which accuse you. Failure, shame, guilt, wrong, loneliness, abandonment, hopelessness, no more future. All the feelings, all the voices, all the circumstances. And God says, let's have a table there. You know why? Because that's the depth of the love. God says, because these enemies and all these voices and all these things, they might happen again. But we're going to learn how to deal with that. The idea that I would have left you, or that I don't want to use my ability to help you, it's all lies. The depth of the love of God says, let's sit with all these enemies. And you know what the picture is? If you sit down with your father. You know why the father says, let's sit down before all these enemies. 
in the deepest of deep. You know why your father does that? He says, let's see what they have to say. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm sitting here with you. Let's see what these enemies have to say. I'm your God. I'm your father. I'm your shepherd. And yes, you're in the valley. So, so what? And then he prepares a meal. And we know now, that's the communion. It's the suffering of Christ. Wherein he says, I went to your deepest deep. You know what was a valley for Jesus bigger than the valley of the shadow of death he went into for the temptation? It's coming to the earth. Can you believe with me that heaven is high? And that he went back to heaven like coming out of the valley you know what he did in between he came to the deepest valley which exists which was earth where you and i live did jesus come into the valley he did and the depth of his love has led him to everything which went wrong might be wrong or still could go wrong in our lives And that's where his grace flows. That's where he says, all what you feel, all how you think where I am, let's sit down. And let's show all the enemies how you and I are. We are good, even in the midst of a valley, even in the deepest point of your life. You and I are good. And we're not going to work ourselves out. We're not going to crawl out. We're going to eat ourselves out based on the finished work of Jesus. We're going to do nothing. We're going to prove nothing. We're going to not turn stones into bread. We're going to not kneel for anything else. No, 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 no. For you're still my child. You're still valuable. You're also still in the height of the love. You're still seated in Christ. Life and feelings may all be deep down, but we're not going to be pulled out of all the other dimensions of the love. No, let's just the, the depth of the love be added. And you know why it's so cool? Let's see what it says after that. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. And then it comes. You, you anoint my head. Where does anointing show up? Anointing shows up when we also learn about the depth of the love. And you know, next week, 260 people coming in. And then we, we, yeah, they need to hear the gospel. Absolutely. Faith is by hearing. But if you really want these people, all of them saved, all of them shepherded, you know what's the best way? If they find people in church who know all the dimensions of the love of Christ. Because most of them out there nowadays live quite deep. There are not so many people living up there. Or they have stuff behind which they are ashamed of or which hurt or left with question marks. And what we often haven't understood as a church, that actually all our failures, of which we are ashamed, that God says, wait a second, let's sit down there, let's see what all the enemies have to say, and once we're through the meal, you get anointed. It's where the anointing shows up, it's where your cup starts to run over, now you don't have enough for yourself, you can share with others. So once we know the width the length, the height, and the depth of the love, the love which surpasses knowledge, you know, it goes beyond our senses, our human. And there, after that, it says, for he who is able <laughs> to, to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think through the power which works enough. And that power is the width, the length, the height, and the depth of the love. Meeting Jesus in the midst of our pit. Let him resolve all the question marks through the finished work. Knowing that you're still loved. No, God doesn't see you as a failure. I so I all the time had that sense. Mars, you failed. You failed. You failed. And, and, and over time, God convinced me, no. Let's see. Let's see what I'm capable of. Let's see what God is capable of. Let him resolve the question marks. 
And, and I get less and less paralyzed. I get stronger and stronger. You know, with my eyes on the Israel and on the Jew, you know that, that, that God starts to reveal more and more. Let me first say this, because I actually, I actually want to say this mostly for next week. How, what happens when God starts sending people to the church? Are we ready, church? Do you actually want to be ready? But the question is, what makes you ready? You know what's the best evangelist in the Gospels? It's a woman which Jesus met at the well. She didn't want to see anyone else. She was the five-time divorcee. And Jesus starts to minister to her. He starts to pour. Do you think that lady had a valley? She probably had five valleys. <laughs> and now she was sitting at a, at a, at a, at a well. It's, all life was deep. And Jesus starts to minister to her, starts to minister to her, starts to minister to her. And what happens? She goes to town. She says, come. Does she say, oh, you sinners. I already repented, but you still go to hell. Come, there's someone who can forgive your sins. You know, what her, you know what her gospel is to these people? Her gospel, it's her personal testimony. Come, there's a man who knows everything I did. And the response should have been, yeah, we also know what you all did. <laughs> but it comes out as living water. It comes out as living water. It comes out as a testimony. And she says, shouldn't he be the Messiah? And everyone, the whole town, it says, went to see Jesus. Now, what, do, what, has, what has the church predominantly done with divorces? Put them in the back row, second grade Christians, while Jesus says, man, if we get those people restored, if I can minister with the depth of my love in their pit, now we have the best evangelist, and I can understand why he took a five-time divorcee and not a one-time divorcee. Yeah, if you have a five-time divorcee, it's a good partner to speak with someone who's one time divorced, good to speak to someone who's two times divorced, good to speak to someone who's three times divorced. You know, it's really, re you can relate to all the, all the depth, all the situations. Could it be that our valleys, what we think as failures, and where God seemed to be absent, that if we allow Jesus truly in there with his grace, and we see that the depth of the love needs to be added to all the other glorious dimensions of the love. That then God is able to do exceedingly more abundantly. And he still wants to do it in the church, by the way. He says, glory be to him in the church. And otherwise, he wants to bring the people where people are already gathered. But we're not here with all our success story lives or all proper. Oh, we, we all have it straightened up for the Sunday and the rest of the week we're actually quite down in Rotterdam we get young people in from a clinic and all of them have had suicide attempts behind them so stood in front of the train have, many of them have been multiple times in the hospital because they took too much medicine and God gave us a building in the area and then he started bringing one by one these kids to church now that's the you know that's the real serious stuff. No arms cut to pieces. All of that stuff. And then I start to realize grace didn't just come to help me with a nicer message, but that it feels less legalistic in church. The grace of Jesus and Jesus really came, the gospel really came to save the world. And it's so dark and tough out there currently. But whoever is ready to step in there, God says, now we're in business. So we, we, we really have to be st stop hiding our question marks and misunderstandings or try to show what, yeah we're all for we all very much against sin we've against failure in life we're but we're all human beings we all need the grace of god it says those who receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness they will reign in life and everyone says amen but when you receive an abundance of grace that implies that you will need an abundance of grace <laughs> who understands so when we get less that we try to be yeah, we're, we're all for, for good, divine, godly life. 
but could it be that God wants to use our valleys to relate to the world? And then all of our valleys from all of us that we can relate to 260 people from, from maybe half of them don't even know Christ. Then you already need 130 people who can relate to these people and have decent conversation with these people, understand what's going on out there, what they go through. And don't see it as a problem, but see it as an opportunity for the grace of God. Now our valleys are suddenly not any, anything anymore where we still walk around with question marks which paralyzes us. It's not where there's still hidden shame or thinking I'm done. I meet many people who think, yeah, but still ministry for me. You know, God wants all of us in ministry. God wants the whole church in ministry. Wants everyone ready to reach out to the world around us. All of us. And then people think I'm too old. No. There's almost no parents out there. So if you're a bit older, hallelujah. You can, you can start coaching and be a conversation partner for younger people. They all need parents. It's very quiet here. Is that, is that normal? Is it, is it? Did I speak the right language? <laughs> <laughs> Do I even still have time? Oh, 20 seconds. Is that it? 20 seconds? 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, on the Day of Atonement, just, just let me say this. When Jesus, Jesus even had a Judas around. And, you know, it says in the Bible, because sometimes we get people in our midst, and it's really tough. And even for ministers and for leading ministers, We've had betrayal, we've had stuff, we had things going on. How to remain strong and how to keep doing church? When, because sometimes people come in and they don't come with good reasons and then leadership ends up discouraged. You know, but it says when the devil had already inspired Judas to betray Jesus, you know what it says? Jesus, knowing where he was coming from and knowing where he was going to, he put off his robe, bound it around the towel and started washing feet. Question, did Jesus know that the devil had already inspired Judas to betray him? Yes, did he, did he wash Judas' feet? Yeah, you know how he could do that? Knowing where he was coming from, knowing where he was going to. That lifts up above this life. You're born in the cross and your future is the Father's house. And the dimensions of the love help us. So the last picture then I want to share with you. I, I, I didn't expect to have time for it, but we're going to do it anyway. I'm here. I made the whole trip. The first day that we got stuck, they canceled the whole flight. Still don't know if it was warfare or the weather. <laughs> it was on our side, the weather. Can you imagine? You come to, we, we tried to land here, and even the plane just almost landed. And <laughs> oh, we're going to try, have another try. So we did our prayer circle over Belfast and said, okay. <laughs> With that covered. On the Day of Atonement, uh, we're going to look at the picture of the temple. The Day of Atonement, they brought two goats in the temple. And you have to imagine that, that uh, the representatives, the priests and the elders of the, the people were there. But for God, it was like if the people are there. And now imagine that this is the Holy of Holies. And of course, it was closed up. And then they brought two goats... And one of them was just killed on the spot, and the blood of that goat was brought into the Holy of Holies. And then the other goat was actually taken out of the temple, in the, in the desert that was still. He was taken into the desert, into the wilderness, at the eastern gate. Now, if this would be the temple, imagine this, this being the temple, and the Holy of Holies there, you know where the eastern gate is? There. This is west. That is east. So one, one goat, the blood was taken into the Holy of Holies. And then the other goat was taken that way. But it was about his blood. Yeah? What did we learn about the width of the love? As far as east is from west. You see the, the two goats, the blood stream. One big red carpet for your whole life. Now, the people were supposed to 
look in that direction. You were supposed to aim towards the Holy of Holies. What do we know from the New Testament? That's actually, this was a flat picture from the spiritual reality. And you know what that is? The house of the Father. <laughs> when you die, where do you go? Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you because the house of my Father has many men. So you focused in that direction and have your eyes there. So you're looking into eternity. It's the length of the love. Kula. But if that is your future, what does it mean? That that's your past. And in the desert it was the wilderness he was taken into. But you know in Jerusalem out of the eastern gates, you know what you get? A valley. And you know what's at the other side of the valley? Mount of Olives. And you know where Jesus was when he sweat blood? He was in Gethsemane. It's called Olive Press. That's, on, that's a garden on the Mount of Olives. So imagine Jesus sitting there outside the temple. And what did he say? Can this cup bypass me? You know, it was your and my cup. It was the, the fate of the two goats. Of which one would go into the valley. In the desert, that second goat would die of thirst. What did Jesus say at the cross? My thirst. You know, even in this picture, we get full proof that Jesus carried everything. Even that one goat going into the valley, which would actually also lead to the, if he would keep going, he would end up in the valley of the shadow of death. And Jesus already knew, I'm going to take it all. I'm going to take your cup. I'm not having it bypassing me. And he, he was looking at the eastern gate, you know, from that side. He was looking. But you know, it's so important for us to know that your past is covered. Because you're supposed to look forward. But when I look this, when I walk this way, the guy behind the sound thinks, what is he doing? <laughs> but normally you're used to keep looking at me. And God says, no. I want you to look towards your future. Your past is all covered by Jesus. Can you imagine that? That that's even the picture in the temple. Jesus took care of your past. You, his blood has covered your past. God says, I want you to look forward. You know, when all the wars and the rumors of war, what did Jesus say? Look up. It's like looking to the Holy of Holies. Look to the Father's house. And let, let the, the, the... Knowing that Jesus covered it all, let it resolve all the question marks and know, no, your past is not a hindrance anymore. It's all covered by Jesus. You're okay to live forward. And there's a future for you. And there's ministry for you. And you're not too old. You're not too young. It's all not true. It's for all generations, it says. His glory in the church and in the generations. All is done. But it's so cool if you see this line. To, to realize why Psalm 23 ended, ends like it ends. Surely your goodness and love... Other translation says, mercy. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because I'm supposed to look that way. But if I, if I look back, I can testify. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord. Forever. So you know now where you're coming from, and you know where you're going to. And you're good to go. And you know, together with all God's holy people, I always thought, oh, we need to be on a Sunday together, to be together or with all God's holy people. You know what's the context? It's Jew and Gentile. The whole context of Ephesians 1, 2, 3 is that God wants Jew and Gentile, so all people. So we don't only pray for Israel, or we only don't only pray for the Jews. We also pray for the Palestinians. Jew and Gentile. God wants them all to be saved. 
And if they come together as believers, it's unbelievable what's happening. Then we get to see really the width, the length, the height, and the depth. And if we want to relate to the Jews and evangelize them, you better have some depth. And it was through my connection with the Jewish boy who explained to me, did you ever hear Psalm 23 like this? No, but it was a Jewish boy, a Messianic believer, he believes in Jesus, who said it to me. He said, man, the whole temptation is actually in Psalm 23. So even me, God, letting me into a valley, being out of my position, thinking I failed it all, put my eyes on Israel, end up having it all resolved and turning it into anointing. God is really good. Amen. And, and, and uh, Pastor Andrew or Penny, whoever, uh, to, to, I asked normally you guys to the communion after the worship. But for obvious reason, I asked, can you wait? And let's do the table in front of the enemies <laughs> after the sermon. Amen. Wow. Wasn't that awesome? Yeah, man. Adam, did you do that? Let's all stand, worship guys. Get some. Just, um, I love that. We're going to, if you have your communion, it'll be under your, your seat. I love that expression that we're going to eat our way out of this this morning and I honestly believe that as we you know I've, I've encouraged the church you know sometimes when you close your eyes and you imagine and the Lord gives you the power of imagination and links it to your faith to go what do you see on the inside what does this look like resolved what does this look like fixed and the Lord starts to paint pictures in your mind. And it's not so that we're just dreamers by day with idle notions, but actually it's the Lord building faith in you to show you the picture of what the finished work does. And I, just as Marcel was saying about that table, and in that moment, the Lord saying, you know, not just that I am with you, but just the enemies had to stand around and watch as the Lord ministers and says, you know, grace upon grace to you right here and um, I believe in that moment that just that moment of affirmation that moment of um, connection with the Lord in, in those in those moments just things being resolved in you I, I believe that uh, you know that there's things happen spiritually in us first and then we walk into the goodness of them do you believe that and I honestly believe that right now as we come to eat and we come to take communion together that the Lord is resolving things in your life that have been hanging around for a long time, some of you. To in this moment right now, I believe, and you can believe too, that the Lord has his hand on you, his finger on that situation that has been like an Achilles heel. And the Lord says, right now I'm resolving it. That you're not you're not you're not gonna live in the depths forever. As I resolve this and you're gonna, you know, you you're gonna see in this moment that I take everything and turn it for good. Every single thing is turned for good. Do you believe that, church? I believe that is such a moment in this place, the presence of Jesus right now. And so, Father, we thank you that for your body. We thank you, Father, for uh, if you take this bread in your hands, this wafer in your hands, and we say thank you, Jesus, that in this moment, Lord, as your body was broken for us, we can stand here this morning and receive health and wholeness and fullness into our bodies and into our minds. Father, we thank you that this is not just tradition, uh, it's not just ritual, but Father, in, in eating this morning, that in this moment as we eat and we drink, you are resolving and healing and meeting us, Lord, at that point to turn it all for good. As far as the east is from the west, Lord, we thank you. So we eat this morning, and as we eat, Father, we believe that there is strength rising in us, new strength rising in us, new healing in us, new health in us. Amen.
And Father, we thank you for your blood. Father, we thank you this morning that, as we have sung this morning and declared this morning, that your blood makes all things new. Father, you, as your blood was poured out, it broke the curse. It broke the curse of sin and death and condemnation and shame. It broke the curse of of every evil thing that comes against us, Lord. We thank you, Father, that even in that death, Lord, that Marcel described this morning, Father, I thank you that in that moment, as we eat, Lord, you are resolving again, that your blood is transforming and changing our hearts and our minds. Lord, healing memories, Father, healing pasts. Father, showing us that every minute of every day, Father, is covered by your finished work of grace. And so, Father, as we drink this morning, we believe in this moment, Lord, in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you're moving in our lives. You're moving in our families. You're moving in those situations. And so, Father, we drink and we say thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So, Father, I want to thank you this morning that... um, we're going to worship, you know, let me, I'm going to pray as the worship guys come up and we're going to finish off our time together. Do you know, I, I honestly believe that in your life this morning, as the word has come, that revelation has come, that as you've eaten in this moment, you've got to in faith say, Lord, thank you that in this moment you have moved. Isn't that right? Like these are moments, Lord, where you have moved. And the good thing, we, we, really encourage you in this church that, you know, to to take communion every day, to eat every day, to make it part of your rhythm and your routine, not as a legalistic thing, but because it's in those moments where the Lord says, eat and remember my finished work for you, that you start to move. And so, Father, we thank you for that this morning. We thank you, Jesus, for your work in our lives.